We're looking for two oil boys who can grease us up before each competition. You do the thing you're scared shitless of, and you get the courage after you do it. That's the way it works. That's the dumbass way to work. It should be the other way around. You'll have to excuse my friend. The town is back that way. You should make a radical change in your lifestyle. I mean, the core of man's spirit comes from new experiences. That's the way it works. Don't worry, we'll catch our break too. Just gotta keep our eyes open. Stay golden. Hello, welcome to Looks Like We're Lost, episode 22. I'm Dustin Redazel, and joining me, he owns a golden retriever. It's Tommy Cooksey. And don't you forget it. Uh, golden Retriever goes by Ripken after Billy, naturally. And uh, <laughs> this is the seven-year anniversary of us having him. He's fantastic. Actually, he's laid up right next to me over here. And he was the first on the scene when I graciously fell down the steps from the literally the second step to the bottom. He was first on the scene making sure I wasn't dead. I wasn't dead. I'm alive. Man's best friend on the spot. <laughs> Mostly because I was his direct path to food, not necessarily that I was okay. It was it was time to eat, so anyway. How many times have you made the Billy Ripkin joke? Anytime I give someone his name and they have some inkling of who a rip who the Ripkins are, ten times out of ten it's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> ten times out of ten. Uh, well, I love it. You know, when I wrote uh, the intro today, I thought, hey, they can't all be bangers. <laughs> I, I've been under the gun. I didn't have a lot of time. Hey, man. Look, I, I really appreciate it, and I know Ripken appreciates any airtime he can get. So well, he's... Just, like, just like the retriever himself, you took it and you made it golden. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, joining us this episode is a longtime friend of mine. Um Gosh, John, we're probably coming up on our 15-year anniversary. It's got to be close. It's getting there, brother. So, uh, John Ensign, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys. Uh, hey, as I always say, the pleasure's <laughs> all on this end of the WebEx. It's the truth, uh, man. We, we appreciate you, uh, you know, making some time. I know for, for us, the 7.45 time is like right after bedtime and usually we can land the plane right at 7:45 but sometimes we're like hey man we got a fighter <laughs> we got a fighter tonight we might be 750 <laughs> i tell you what how many how, dusty i know you have two tommy how many kids you have we have two yeah we have two, two boys well. i tell yeah. you what man the idea of more than one kid after being a parent for barely a few months stresses me out so much i mean <laughs> their their resiliency when you don't want them to be resilient is almost admirable, but extraordinarily frustrating. Oh, man. It's oh, so yeah. funny. I was just in a conversation two days ago. My sister was visiting. And uh, I was trying to explain, like, in... We were talking about discipline in general. You know, we were spanked. Should, should spanking happen? And uh, I was talking about, you know, an old teammate of ours, Ben Spann, in a conversation I had with him. And Ben was talking about how, like, sometimes it's it's like a convenience issue. Like, do I have the 30 minutes it's going to take to enter this battle of wills with this seven-year-old? And it's not 
it's not about them being like more intellectually capable. It's just that for them, it is the most important thing in the world. And for you, it is a 30 minute time suck. Like their commitment to the battle is so much greater than yours. Oh yeah, dude. I took a, we're big on trying to like get them to eat. Our, my oldest is kind of a little guy. Um, and that's just, you know, part of it's just, I'm a little guy. He doesn't have great genetics. Um, but I took a picture of his, of his dinner plate last night before I threw it in the trash and I sent it to my wife and I'm like, look, it looks exactly like it did when I put it out. <laughs> like literally he didn't even touch the fork or the spoon next to it. He just came up, said, nope, I don't like that. And went away. And it's like some nights we're going to fight that battle. We're going to say, no, you got to sit at the table. Other nights it's like, I just want to enjoy my, my dinner tonight. So you just, you know, just go play, have some, have some independent time and, and we'll just, we'll, we'll all meet back up afterwards. You can watch me eat my dessert. <laughs> I am uh, I am mildly excited for that day when I can finally, like, you know, right now Walter can't intellectually process what we're doing when we have a standoff of ideas. But when, I'm, when I know I've had a good night's sleep, I've had, you know, a, a full belly, and I'm ready to just, like, plant my flag in the ground and just say, try me. See what I'm made of tonight. Dude, your your level of intellectual ingenuity is uh, is sort of threatening to... A grown man. <laughs> so yeah, I, would, I would very I, much agree with that. <laughs> I can't so imagine like when he's like 10 and he's like, oh, yeah, watch me. <laughs> oh, man. John, you said you just, John, you said you just became a dad. So how old is your kid? Uh, he's only three months. Three months. Nice. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. So we're still in that honeymoon phase of parenting. Thanks. Yeah, yeah it's all downhill from here. Yeah. So it's, um, no, it's been great. It's been, uh, yeah, it's just that extension of more lessons learned. You learn a lot when you get married, and you learn even more when you have a kid, and then I'm sure it continues the more you have. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, I cannot wait to hear some of these lessons. Uh, I'll do a little bit of a standard intro here to get us rolling, which is uh, I know John from playing college basketball together initially. Uh, Asbury College, home of the Fighting Eagles. Come on now. Sore Eagles, sore. And... John actually grew up with a prior podcast guest of ours, Matt Pittman. Uh, they were neighbors for, gosh, your entire lives? Yeah, virtually. Uh, my mother and his mother have been dear friends since, virtually since I can remember. So I've known Matt virtually all my life. So, uh, you know, shout out to Looks Like We're Lost, episode 18, starring Matt Pittman. Go check it out. There it is. Um, so, John, you've had, we'll get into a little bit of, what you've been doing since we played basketball together, but uh, you have a lot of interests and you've had a lot of a lot of things that could possibly define who you are, what you do. Uh, you've been a CrossFit coach, an officer in the Marine Corps. Uh, now you're a working stiff like me and Tommy are, but as we already mentioned, new fatherhood. So uh, when people ask the question, what do you do, do you have a an odd way of answering that or what's your usual response? Yeah, that's a great question because I remember learning, um, I you guys, you guys heard of Simon Sinek. Yep. Just yeah, talking yeah. about him. him this yeah. we, we talked about him this week, actually. Did you? We did. Yeah. I, I used to, I used to kind of, t- you know, listen to some of him, some of his stuff, not as much anymore, but, um, I think, I think he's the one who talked about it one time and he talked about the, 
mistake people make in the first question, if, and I didn't really realize how often it happens, the first question everybody asks somebody they don't know is what do you do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he kind of, because it's a comfortable question, it's an easy question, it doesn't require any intimacy, it doesn't create the opportunity for really any more intimacy. It kind of puts the ball in the court of the person you're talking to. So since that's been the case, like my mindset on that question has kind of changed a lot. Um, so it, you got to kind of gauge the person who's asking you, right? Like if you kind of get the feel for the person and if it's somebody who I know might be able to be a little bit more flexible, I might be able to answer that and like, you know, well, Hey, I, I currently work for, you know, so and such, such and such company. Um, and then I might kind of segue into maybe some personal interests and stuff. Um, but if it's somebody who I know kind of doesn't really want to go deep, I'll just answer typically the company that I work for. And then from that, that opens up an easy question for them to ask in return, which is, oh, well, what does that look like? What do you do? And then, you know, you can kind of mm-hmm. filter into some more answers. So it kind of depends on who's asking if I'm able to gauge the read on who they are. Um, but typically I'll just let them know, hey, this is the company I work for. And then if they want to go down that road, that's fine. Do you wish we asked a different question? Like just broadly speaking? No, I don't think Or is it so. kind of nice to not have to engage sometimes? Yeah, I... That just depends on the day, man. I'm an introvert. So if I'm, you know, if it's one of those days where, you know, the introvert side is really winning out, I don't mind that question because, you know, it keeps it at that service level. But I mean, as far as you guys asking, and especially in the context of a conversation like we're having right now, I mean, it makes a lot of sense um, Mm -hmm. in terms of kind of creating a professional base, which people can relate to. And then, you know, it just kind of depends. But for you guys, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, one of the reasons I have continued to ask this question to begin our episodes with a guest is for all the reasons you mentioned, I think it's kind of an incomplete question, right? And I don't get excited to tell people what I do, you know? There's so many other things I want to talk about, and yet that's the question I continually find myself beginning relationships with. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I'm just kind of always curious how other people handle it. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's tough. It's kind of like a what's you know what's great weather today kind of intro. It, like if you walked up to somebody and said, uh, "Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Tommy. What sets your soul on fire?" People would be like, uh, <laughs> yeah. "Well, I'm gonna I'm set you. I'm one. gonna set you on fire, and I'm gonna walk in the other direction." <laughs> but I mean, it's actually something because you know. I, I've always given a really vanilla answer to that question. I'm in sales. I'm an account manager for Cisco. No, not the food company, the technology company. You might have seen their phones. And then, but but John, you're right. Then it's on the person that you're conversing with. Like, do they dig in deeper? Do they say, oh, hey, I know somebody that's there or... You know, what, what, do you, what, does that, what does that mean? What do you guys actually do? And, and so it's a very... It's probably a very Western culture type thing, like very surface level. And then you can go deeper or you can just stay right there. And if that's where the relationship needs to be, but yeah, it's, I've, I've recognized that man, you know what? Cause you know, it'd be something as simple as even like, you know, your LinkedIn profile, right? Whatever LinkedIn is going to become or is used for. Um, But you know, historically we've all just put like, you listed what your job description is in your about me. Yeah. And I've sort of taken a different approach to that. Cause I, you know, you're, it's true. We're, we're about a lot of things. Sure. Yeah. I'm about, you know, my, my, you know, working for my company, but that's, that's not what drives me 
it's 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 being a father it's being a husband um it's about fitness right and then it's also about the function it's about the work and me and dusty spent a lot of time talking about that so that's really did you did you um were you in the marines pre-college or did you go after college or because just just so people know dusty and john know each other from way back john and i spent one wonderful evening together uh, rowing. That was a great for, time. For, for row twenty-four, we stayed up basically for those. It'll it'll probably come back around, but uh, we raised money for uh, for leukemia research uh, by two teams rowing for twenty-four hours. Think like relay for life, but on a concept two rower. So I got to know John fairly well, but it's been eighteen months or more. Mm-hmm. So I guess did you um, were you in it in the Marines before college, or did you did you join the Marines after college? Yeah, so I'll, I'll caveat real quick before I answer that with this. I remember when you guys were doing uh, Cheeto Dust, I remember seeing you and Dusty. Um, there was that little section. You guys broke off from the row for a little bit, and I think just did a short segment of a podcast together. And I remember watching you guys, and I was like, man, I would really, really, really like to join that conversation. I don't even know what it's <laughs> about. So it's really kind of fun to be able to think about how I ended up in Raleigh, and now we're just doing this together. That's just kind of a fun memory for me. Yeah, um, man. But um, as far as the Marine Corps component, um, virtually you have the enlisted in the officer side. Um, and in the officer side, I went in after college. So I did okay. what's called officer's candidate school, which is virtually boot camp, my junior summer of college, and then returned for my senior year and then commissioned uh, after my senior year of college. Did you, uh, and I should know these things better, but it's been a while since we talked about these things. Did you go overseas? Yeah, I was in Afghanistan with with my unit was Second uh, Battalion, Fourth Marines, and we were in uh, Northern Helmand Province, a uh, place called Musakala. I don't want to be too broad, but also I don't want to steer this anywhere. What was that experience like? Yeah, it's a great question, man. Um, because especially when it comes to military, um, you know, guys' experiences. Because the simple fact is, we've been at war for twenty years. I mean, twenty yeah. years. I yeah. Mean, it's a substantial amount of time. I remember sitting in my basement with my family at our old house and my cousin, Nathan, um, who um, I probably shouldn't use his first name, but my cousin, who's a, um, who was a Huey pilot or helicopter pilot. And he was with the OIF ones, the initial push in Iraq. And I remember watching the bombs drop on that first night um, wow. that they went into, you know, I obviously went into Afghanistan first. That's where mm-hmm. it all started after nine 11. But um, you know, I remember seeing that. So um but uh, Dusty, to answer your question, I think in our culture, when people view military, there's there's so much entertainment, movies, there's so much, you know, everybody thinks SEAL Team 6 when they think America, right? They think, mm-hmm. you know, the special operators, and, and there's a reason for that. Those guys have notoriety, number one, because, you know, some of the direct action stuff they take obviously has worldwide implications, obviously, that, you know, when Osama bin Laden, uh, when they went into that operation in Pakistan, you know, so I think from that perspective, they, a lot of people think about it from that light or that component. Um, but the reality is, is that that conflict that took place um, took place at a very, what's called decentralized level. Um, and that experience uh, when you're over there is very different depending on where you are. Um, mm-hmm. So some, some areas have different kind of threats. Um, you know, one may be, I, I think about the areas that we were in, uh, there was a lot of what was called an IED. So a lot of things like, you know, they would dig holes, put bombs in the ground. 
And so it really limits, you know, movement, mobility. You got to be really strict about where you're going and how you're maneuvering and different things like that. So the experience from like a tactical perspective, which is what I'm talking about, is different. Um, but from a personal perspective, I don't know, man, it's it, it, it's tough. It's tough to communicate. I mean, the, the place that we were at from a kinetic, when I say kinetic, that means, you know, how frequently you're in type of call it just an engagement, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, we, although, you know, we saw our fair share, um, was not nearly as intense as what some others may have experienced. So the experience is not always the same. You know, I think everybody thinks when they see a movie, they see, you know, Generation Kill or some sort of series. They're like, you know, this is what it looks like every single day, all the time. It's really different depending on where you are. Um, and then, you know, the difference from that kind of tactical perspective can really, you know, it can just vary so widely for, for different individuals, depending on where they are, if that makes any sense. Does that answer your yeah. question? Yeah, no, it's actually almost exactly what I was hoping for. When I was just like, what's it like? Because I think I don't have any military experience. You know, I've got a brother in the air force, but you know, as, as I learned the chair force, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's doing logistics, right? Uh, not to, and I guess this kind of gets to my point is that when I started working for Cisco, my, my current position, the U.S. Army was my first customer. And so I would go on base at Fort Bragg here in North Carolina. And it was amazing to me how much of it is just like running a business, you know, like. Yeah, there's some some uniquenesses. Guys are in uniform, like the chain of command is adhered to. There's less uh, individual disruption, um, and from my experience, but to me, it seemed like it was just a professional engagement, and they would use terms like warfighter in a way that was almost detached from the intensity that I imagine when I think about being in war because my perspective is warped by movies. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's done a good job, movies and news have done a good job of making me understand like the atrocity that war can be. But that also removes me from having empathy for people like yourself who have actually gone over there and served and have a completely different experience about what that means to, you know, not only your fellow soldiers, but the people on the ground. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I say, what's it like, <laughs> I, I am asking that from as humble of a place as I possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, and you know, that's one of those things of, it says so much about people when they ask those questions to guys who, you know, have been around the block. Because when we talk about perspective as well, you got to understand, I had one deployment, right, overseas into a combat environment. My platoon sergeant, when I was in the Marine Corps, I won't use any, I, I wish I could use their names because, man, these guys, oh, man, they're special, special people, man. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, you know, it, you know, depending on your worldview and stuff like that, you know, for me personally, I just believe, you know, God's created people with skills and strengths and, and these guys are just built to be warriors, man. It's just, it, it's, it's ingrained. Like the war drum was beating and the opportunity to go was there. And these guys are such special people and their skill set 
leans towards the imposition of will on other people, which in the end is all warfare is. It's the imposing mm-hmm. of your will on somebody else. In, in the end, you know, you go back to the war fighting manual. Um, it's it's Marines will know what I'm talking about. Um, but it's the imposition of your will over other people. In the end, that's all it is. And, you know, my experience being only on one deployment, my platoon sergeant had been deployed seven times. Wow. In combat environments, like literally for a decade, this individual had known nothing but go, deploy, scrap, come back, reset, train, deploy, scrap. It just he just a repetitive cycle. So it's like, you know, for me and my experience, um, you know, it's just so much different than what some of those guys are. Now, I don't want to take that into grade from the conversation, right? Saying, well, I don't really have anything to say because I don't know what it's like to really, really know what these other guys know. You know, I can still add that value. Mm. But when people like yourself ask, you know, and have the willingness and the humility to be like, hey, I don't have any idea, but I just want to know what I'm able to know. You know what I'm saying? And all it is, when it comes to those environments, all you're trying to do is perform the commonplace and uncommonplace conditions. Mm. And that's really as simple as it is. There's a book called uh, The Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield, which is virtually kind of a fictional version of the, you know, the Battle of Thermopylae. And yep. inside of that book, he talks about, you know, it being inside of a conflict, um, you know, just performing the commonplace and uncommonplace conditions, right? And, you know, you can use that and then kind of from that build the experience of what it would be like over there. So, you know, you think about something as simple as, um, you know, something as simple as, you know, changing out a magazine, you know what I mean? You press a button, it falls out, you grab another one and you put it in. But then, you know, put your heart rate at 180 beats per minute and absolute chaos and the ability to think and how difficult something so simple can become, right? So that kind of gives a little bit of an idea of, you know, what that environment entails from a very, very basic level. Uh, But in the end, all it is is just absolute uncertainty. If you've ever wanted to test your worldview, you go into that environment and you realize I have absolutely no control. Dude, that that was my actually, it's funny you say that because that was actually my next question. And and first, I think we should probably just pause and say, like, you know, thank you for your service. I, you know, I have an incredible amount of respect for people that do it, regardless of whether they deploy, whether they're stateside, whether they're a Marine, Air Force, what, you know, whatever, because I never did it. And, you know, I have, again, I, just like Dusty said, I have no idea what it's like. And, you know, I, I, and I actually have almost no context to even understand what it's like, you know. So, um, so anyway, thanks, thanks for your service and, and it's greatly appreciated. Um, but you, you know, you, you mentioned it can ch- kind of change your worldview. You know, I, I, I take it, you know, you grew up, in, you know, with Matt, Dusty and I both kind of grew up in, you know, I wasn't even su- suburbia. I was like rural. <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. you know, I have a very growing up, I had a very I mean, the, the view was like, was like this big, you know, and ju- I know just, just moving to Raleigh, being in a, in a larger city changes how I look at the world and the people I associate with. How, For how- our audio only audience. Oh, oh yeah. held his hands up in a very tiny hole. <laughs> yeah. It was like the I mean, picture, like the hole of a donut. That was my worldview coming from my small hometown. Um, I forget that, you know, we're not on, <laughs> this isn't, this doesn't go anywhere. The, the, the video portion. But what sort of things can, you know, change because you, you, you know, you, you spend how many months or weeks did you spend deployed? Yeah. So it the, the army typically was doing about a year. Um, and the Marine Corps does seven months. They, at least when I was in, they were doing seven month rotations. Okay. So you go for about seven months and then come back. 
So what sort of things, you know, and this, uh, this is going to be, again, a kind of a broad ranging question. And, you know, again, feel free to answer as much or as little of it as you feel comfortable. But as, as you do that and you see a very different part of the world that probably I would venture to say 95% of the world will never see the part of the earth that you saw mm-hmm. and the conditions that you saw. Um, what, what changed or what, how did it reshape the way you look at life and the world and everything? Yeah, that's a great question, Tommy. Um, and I'll try to be as succinct as possible because this is something that could really run a very deep rabbit hole that could probably eat up the entire time. But I'm going to start with a real quick quote um, that I got sent the other day. This is by Mark Twain. And I think it gives a lot of relevance to that question. Um, he said, let me read this for you. Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. And many of our people need it sorely on those accounts. Broad, wholesome, Charitable views of man and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all of one's lifetime. So like that, you know, it's, that's a super deep quote. And I mean, you could think about how that could apply in our culture on, you know, a dozen different fronts right now. Absolutely. But but specifically involving the question that you're asking, I could kind of branch it into a a few different things. Number one, from a, a worldview perspective, you know, number one, it's going to challenge the one that you have. So for me, you know, I, you know, I'm a Christian, I have a Christian theistic worldview and it's one thing to live and grow up in the Bible belt and say, I'm a Christian. And then it's another thing to go over into a combat environment and see what man is capable of doing to one another. Mm. And then Mm -hmm. having that worldview, you know what I'm saying? Now I will, I will say that, that, you know, that experience did not dissuade me from my worldview and my belief. I still hold very strongly to that and it only reinforced it. Um, so that's one of the things that happened over there is it reinforced and strengthened my faith, even though I had some serious things that I wrestled with on the back end as a result of that. Um, so number two, it, it, it really gives you a sense of gratitude. Um, not only for, you know, it, when you think about inside of, you know, our nation and stuff, and I don't ever, I, I in this conversation, I don't want to go down any type of, you know, get into like anything political or anything like that in our nation right now, but like you just, you really get a really strong sense of gratitude and thankfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you think about a place like Afghanistan, um, it's easy to think, well, we live in these types of houses. They still make, you know, they still have huts that they make with straw or, or hay, clay, and water, the way that they used to make bricks thousands of years ago inside of these homes. Like just because the conditions in which they live versus how we live, you know, that, it, it, I can't it, even get my like I can't even get my brain around that right now. Like, yeah. you know, that that we're living we're all living at the same time. But it's it's like certain places in our world are almost frozen in time or still like you know, we we can track our history, you know, industrial revolution, you know, technology revolution, you know, all these different all these different things and there there are literal countries, millions of people that you know, what's, what's a industrial revolution? You know what I mean? What's <laughs> yeah, it's spot on. that's wild. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm sitting here trying no. to wrap my head around that. And I'm like, I can't, I don't have a way in which to contextualize that. Yeah. It's that's, really, it's crazy. It's so, yeah. it's so special, man. Um, Afghanistan is, is, is such a special place. And that's another thing from a worldview perspective that you can see the value and you know how in America, the things that we value so many people, it's material, right? You know, you have that, you know, what do I have? How much do I have? How much am I gaining? Um, you know, and 
you know, you think about over there and, and what's a value, you know, you think about water, water's a value over there. And so it depends on where you're at. Obviously, Afghanistan, from a geographical perspective, you go up at the very far northeast and you have, you know, the you have the Hindu Kush, you have very, very high mountains. And then you, but you come down towards Helmand is you can get to some lower lying areas as it runs into the eastern part of Iran. And you can have, you know, more dry areas and you get down there and you realize that these people are masters of water irrigation. And you'll have these dry riverbeds, like the one that we were on, is, it was a wadi and it was about, a, you know, I'd say probably about a half mile, three quarters of a mile wide, completely dry. But you, you gum up and you'll see this giant hole in the ground and you're like, what is that? And you can realize that all it is is aqueducts that they've dug out and then they funnel water. And so, you know, you think about it from the perspective of thankfulness. Um, you're like, you know, you think about our water supply and how we go about getting it. You know, for them, you know, the amount of work that they have to do just to go ahead and dig a well and they draw from that wa wa they draw from that well water and then they irrigate. So you have these kind of like half mile to a mile sections on each side of this water that they're all green. And then it goes from green to complete desert and just masters of water irrigation. You just think about the history of that place, even though technologically advancement wise from maybe like a I guess you could call it from um maybe like a structural perspective in terms of their housing and plumbing and things like that. Yeah, it's probably not up to the par in terms of what we are from a technological perspective, but just the sheer history of that place. Alexander the Great's rolling through there. The Persian Empire's rolling through there. The mm. British Empire's rolling through there. Russia's rolling through there. So how can a nation like that that's really tribal, you know what I mean? They don't have any idea. You think about taking democracy, you think about taking Western thought and implementing it for a successful purpose in a place like that, right? Like... These people for thousands of years have done nothing but either A, imposition by imperial powers, whether that's Alexander the Great all the way up to us, or whether that's, you know, just tribal inside of their culture and their society. So for me, from a worldview perspective, just to see that completely different, you know, the Eastern thought, the Eastern mindset compared to the Western, that was really, it, quite frankly, it was fun. Like, it was just a lot of fun mm. to just kind of learn from that, to see what they value um, you know, and they value similar things as well. I mean, you know, think about, you know, basic necessities, food, water, shelter, but, you know, those people very much have, you know, internal power struggles. They have the desire to grow and, you know, grow and influence, you know, just the, the ability to do that and what that looks like is just very, very different. Yeah. We're more alike than we are different. Mm -hmm. And even with all those differences, uh, man, I absolutely love taking something as simple as water. Our very first episode on here was like, we didn't even know how we were naming these things. So the name of it is just gratitude. And we were just like, this feels like an important concept. Yeah. We, we should dive into this a little bit. And to think about just like, I turn a sink on and I have water. Life is all right. The thing I think about a lot, and I don't know why, it just like comes up whenever I'm feeling mopey. It's like, a, it's it's kind of like a mental safety zone to check myself. Is if I had to restart society, like the apocalypse happens, it's me and like five thousand children. I'm the only adult to survive. <laughs> like, what could I teach these kids? And it's it's like virtually nothing. It's like all. All my knowledge is, is boxed in by this technology. I know how to turn a sink on. I have no idea how to actually get water from the ground. Like, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I mean, like, guys, we're going we're gonna to dig a deep hole. <laughs> let's yeah. let's yeah. see if we get lucky. 
I've heard about boiling this stuff. Maybe if you boil it, the bacteria will go away. I have no idea, but we're going to try on this guy. And if he doesn't make it, we're not going to do that again. <laughs> like, and I wanted to uh, go back to a, a thing you said at the very beginning, common actions in uncommon places. What was that exact phrase? Yeah, so I think it's performing the commonplace in uncommonplace conditions. Makes so much more sense. I'm, one, I'm a huge Stephen Pressfield fan. Yeah, he's great. Uh, he's great. So, of course, he nailed the phrasing. Um, for your personal experience and just what you saw from uh, your fellow soldiers, how important, when you talk about those um, extreme factors, your heart rate's jacked, and how much is it preparation versus some guys are just cool under pressure? and yeah. Can you tell a difference? That's a great, such a great question, man. So first and foremost, I want to caveat this. What I don't want to do is in this conversation is paint the idea that I was some sort of meat eater over there. And I'll be very, very honest with you guys. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about this conversation. I thought if it, if it, if it did get brought up, it's just important for me, I think, out of respect for the men that I have so much respect for to be very transparent um, in my leadership position in Afghanistan, I was removed from um, my position of leadership about five months into the seven-month deployment. And that's because I mentally broke underneath the pressure mm. of what I was ex of over there. Um, and the reason I, it's important for me to say that up front is that my experience in leadership as a combat leader was that of failure. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have a tendency to be like, well, you know, it really wasn't failure. You were in a position that a lot of people haven't been in. It's like, hey, look, like in order to properly be able to look at a, a situation that may be perceived as failure in your life, you cannot think of it of any less than what it is in order to be able to address it, learn from it and be able to move forward. Mm -hmm. um, so in answering that question, I would first be very, very, it's very important for me to say that I was one of those individuals who in the long run was not able to persevere through that, through, through that intensity of those situations. Right. Um, you know, mm -hmm. now it wasn't, you know, it's not one of those things of the first time it happened, I threw my hands up and ran away and then I never was there. No, it was one of those things of, in that first situation in which we found ourselves, I realized I froze like a popsicle because you have that adrenaline that hits. I'll never forget the first, um, you know, they open, they open fire and, and we found ourselves in, in a kinetic situation. And I remember I froze. I literally, it, it's almost an out of body experience because you're like, I need to be doing something, but I'm not physically moving right now. Wow. And, wow. um, you know, my first experience was I just froze in sight and I was, you know, I'm in a position of leadership, right? I've taken an oath to do everything in my power to lead these men well. And in the end, I failed to uphold that oath. And it's been something that's been very difficult for me to move on from because once you've stood that test, if you fail that test, it's not like you can just run outside and retest yourself real quick, right? Um, so mm -hmm. from my perspective, you know, I was in a position where I, I froze and that was the first time. Now there were other times that followed where, you know, things went well and, and you know, I performed well, mm -hmm. but the mental effect that that had on me after that first situation, I was like, I'm going to get somebody killed. Like there are these young men. And when, when I say, young men, it, 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 I want to be, I'll get into this in just a second, but I'll try to be brief. I was like, somebody, one of these young men is going to lose their lives because I'm not doing my job. And so instead of thinking about, okay, what happened, what went wrong and how do I fix it? So that next time it doesn't happen again, 
I dwelt on, well, I don't, I'm going to fail these guys. I'm going to fail. These. And, and I just ran down this rabbit hole of, you know, not, not just like, you got to control your thinking. You got to be like, I'm not going to think like that. Yeah. I dropped the ball, but I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to do well the next time. And I'm going to do better the next time. Instead, I just kind of went into this darker and darker place. And over the course of five months, eventually got to the point where I just, I crumbled beneath the weight and the burden. Um, so that was, you know, my experience and perspective on that. So I just wanted to be very, you know, I feel like it's important for me to say that I'm not trying to knock on myself. It's just, if I don't say that, I don't feel like I'm not giving respect to the guys who I'm about to talk about. And so that's one component of guys. Um, so to answer your first question, number one, the basis. Well, training. first, first, let me say just 100% appreciate the honesty and the vulnerability. It sounds like that was a very difficult thing for you to process and I'm sure I'm sure it still irks at you to this day at times I, dude I've had massive failures in my life uh and sometimes they still bubble up on me you know yeah. in in a bad day but my experience has been that being able to face those failures accept them and talk about them it not just helps everybody else around us learn but it's healing. It. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great point. Yeah, it's definitely something that's hard. It's hard to move on from. Um, Tommy, were you going to say something, brother? I didn't mean to cut you off. I know, dude. I mean, I I was going the exact same. My brain went to the same place as Dusty. So no, I mean that's. It's. Um, you can tell you've done some solid work handling handling that situation, from a personal standpoint. So appreciate you being open and vulnerable about that. That's that's. I mean, that's. I I think it's a. It's such a such a crucial thing for people to hear because you're right. I mean, we we the movies gla- can glamorize, you know, glam- glamorize is that a word? Glamorize, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and 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 th- there there is a there's a tough personal side to this. I mean, we talked about this when Dusty and I talked about policing. You know, you John are still a human being. <laughs> you know, you're not j- just because you know you you were a marine does not preclude you from normal human emotions right and the situation that you know you found yourself in is not a standard human situation it's an extreme of a human situation so anyway all that to say thanks for you know thanks for sharing that so you you please continue yeah no and the biggest thing in sharing that is is i believe that it gives respect to the guys who i'm about to talk about um, which Dusty, when you to answer your question, the baseline is training, right? You can equate that from an athletic perspective and Tommy for you, especially in like CrossFit coaching, you know, you, you lay the framework for movement, right? So you think about basketball, you think about the speed of the game, you think about CrossFit, you think about the intensity of the workout and then being able to maintain certain, you know, whether that's movement patterns in CrossFit or whether that's, you know, you know, situational stuff in a basketball game. Like you, you lay the framework with absolute training and practice and you hammer it, hammer it, hammer it. So whether the speed of the game is going really fast, you you fall back on what you've trained. Or whether the workout's going really bad and you're, you're really fatigued, you fall back on what you've trained. It's the exact same thing when you think about a combat environment. When that adrenaline rush hits you, you're going to fall back on what you know. And so that's going to be your training base. So that nothing can be, nothing can replace how important that is. So you just hammer a foundation so that before you even go into that environment, you have absolute confidence. But when it comes to nothing can train you for the effect of somebody, you're like, okay, this person is actively trying to take my life. And then it's like, you know, 
All right, here we go. So, you know, you can do as much as you possibly can to train for that. But in the end, it's kind of like having a kid. Like you can tell me what it's like to be a parent, but until I hold my son, I have no idea. Um, so it's kind of similar to that, but there are guys over there. I, I, I man, I, I'll say to you, I wish I could say their names, but, um, so in, 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 F, in this, this fight that we were in, it was very decentralized, right? So all that means is everybody's really spread out. So the, the, the conflict that we fought, um, was fought by what's called the non-commissioned officers. So you have a platoon, which what I had, which is about 40 some guys. And then you have squads, which have a sergeant in charge of each. Those guys are, if the American people want to know who, should, who they should think, they need to find those guys and they need to shake their hands because those are the guys that are going out with their squads daily and they are grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding. And I've watched those guys do some things that are just so special. I mean, I remember one of them, he actually, this individual deployed with my brother's battalion to Iraq, um, which was actually wow. kind of neat, but this guy was with us. And I'll never forget we, that we were in a, there was a firefight that took place and I heard this guy come over the radio and it literally could have sounded like he was at a coffee shop talking to his mom on the phone. Wow. I mean, and then there, there was another guy that I knew who um, he had been in Iraq and had actually taken a sniper round to the back shoulder. I remember he took his shirt off one day we were in the field and I was like, what is in his shoulder? And I was really like, see, you know, he had, been, he had taken a round to the shoulder, the back of the shoulder. And um, I'll never forget the first instance we were in, his response when we found ourselves in that situation i just so it's almost it's almost disconcerting how calm they are you're just like mm. wow i mean it, it's just amazing you're almost taken back so it does it answer your question there's different people who respond in different ways um some people are really communicative some people kind of do their job and go internal but um yeah there's different people different people respond in very different ways i think what's so fascinating about that to me is i don't I don't really think it's possible to be a human being and not wonder about yourself. Yeah. Like what, what would happen? Like, would I, you know, I think about this particularly after, uh, going through leukemia, like I currently feel really good about the way I'm going to hold together emotionally on my deathbed. I think I, I think I'll be all right. You know, I think about like the Kobe Bryant situation in that helicopter and maybe he had 15 seconds where he, he knew like this thing's going down and it could yeah. be bad. And like in that last moment, do you feel dread and horror or are you able to like drum up a peace of mind? And I think I feel pretty good about the deathbed thing, and I still wonder about the the real the more violent threats. You know, I, I think about things like home invasions. I think about if I ever had to be in a war, and I I worry about what I'm made of in those situations. And I think part of it is like I haven't really done any real prep. You know, I got the home security system. There's, there's a bat that's like, you know, <laughs> reachable, right? But like, you know, I, I don't do any sort of martial arts. I don't fight. I, I've never been in a fight in my whole life because I'm bigger than most people. And frankly, I don't think I'm that antagonistic of a fella. <laughs> and so when I think about these situations about people who like, they're in it as real as it gets. 
and and they're doing what they have to do. I can't help but just be odd. Like I just because I I don't. It, frankly, because it scares me. Mm-hmm. Right. The whole reason I never even thought about going into the Marines or the military is like it just scares me. Mm-hmm. I I don't want to have to think about it. And I think that kind of brings up uh, the other thing you said, which is, you know, war is the imposition of will. I think where a lot of Americans who are in my situation, you know, we're not war fighters, is we think of it as like, hey, you guys are supposed to be over there doing our will. And yet we can't get on the same page over here. And so that confuses us about how to appreciate soldiers. And I don't think that citizens do a great job of talking to soldiers. It's like, if I talk to you, I kind of have to talk about all those things I just mentioned. The fact that you're facing the fear and I'm not. And so we do things which I think are nice gestures, right? Like, you know, you buy the guy a... You pay for his meal at the airport when you see him in uniform, right? And you you say thank you. But really, it's just kind of like, and Tommy, I don't know. Maybe you feel differently about that. But really, it's me trying to just be like, whew, I am glad I'm not that guy. No, dude. I mean, I you know, like I said, I've I, I never, maybe a brief moment where I had a consideration, but but yeah, I mean, it was it. There, that, that's that's why there's a level of reverence, from my standpoint, um, for people that that do. This is voluntary. It's not. We're, we're not a country mm-hmm. that makes you do it. And so, you know, and I guess that actually that actually brings a question. You know what what was your why, John? I mean, did you have a specific reason? Like, you know, you were you were dunking on Dusty. In college, and you were like, "This is weak sauce, man. I need something heavier." Like, what? What was the? Uh, you know, there would it, it, there that... would never be a lower scoring one on one battle. Like you, you talk it's about so two true. ultimate team guys just rebounding and outlet passing like a mother, yeah. <laughs> defending man. the hell out of you, just practicing so hard. You guys could take a charge with the best of them, huh? Oh, I, th- I think I led the team a couple of years. That's fantastic. If it wasn't just... me, it was definitely John. That's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. So, Dusty, watching you take charges was so fun because it was never graceful, but it always worked. It's a long way down. <laughs> what do you think sold it? <laughs> you got to get the limbs involved. <laughs> the arms, arms flailing. You got to have the arms flailing. Oh, that's what it was. Now, Tommy, to answer your question, man, um, it's uh, it, it's kind of really for me. It's twofold. Number one, we were in a situation in which we were in conflict, um, and it was one of those things where I felt, you know, I just kind of, I was like, you know, hey, I think it would be important to be a part of this in some facet or another. Um, and then um, a secondary is also family. Um, my family, you know, lineage and heritage. You can trace my family back to the Battle of Culloden um, in England, um, all the way back. You know. Let's see. I'm not sure year wise, but that would have been, I wish I had done a little bit of history research, but you think about the, you know, the battle of Clyde all the way back in Britain, you know, hundreds of years ago, mm-hmm. I, we had, you know, family that were involved in, in, in that conflict and then leads it up to, 
you know, family, we, we had diaries of individuals in our family at, at the Battle of Cold Harbor in the Civil War. Uh, we had a Civil War sword from a major in the, the Union Army from my dad's side. Um, it went, went like great, great, great something, grandfather, something like that. He was an officer in the Union Army. Um, you can think about, you know, for us, the, the only major conflict in the United States in which I did not have a family member directly involved was in the uh, Korean War and in the... Um, uh, the, the Vietnam War. Apart from that, our family's been in every single conflict that, the, that our nation's known. Um, so uh, th there was a really strong component as well in my family of, you know, one of my cousins had been in OIF-1, another one of my cousins was in OIF-2 and 3, and then my brother was in Iraq, and then, you know, I went to Afghanistan. So, you know, I was in a position to kind of bring it full circle for our entire family as well. So there was a bit of a draw from that component or from you the family side. That's awesome. Yeah. And 1746 battle of Culloden. Just, I okay. looked it up. Yeah, that's right. I looked it up. Yeah. yeah. 1746. I knew Man. that. I, I just was just fact checking my own self. I knew that already. Big history guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm over here reading general biographies every night. Yeah. Um, John, so, I mean, that, that's incredible. Like I, I don't have necessarily that history, which, and that, that's, I mean, it's actually pretty incredible that you guys have, you know, diaries from, from this stuff. I mean, wow, what a connection. To your ancestors. Um, well, how much is that? Just what we were talking about. Just it's been months now. Uh, we we had a guy on the pod, John uh, Jeremy Muller, who was just like getting really into where his roots came from. Because mm -hmm. you know, for him personally, he's like he was dealing with the fact that he was just white. And he's like, well, that's not really anything, you know. Like, <laughs> where am I actually from? Like, what? And. Uh, I, I don't think many people our age have that kind of connection to like, this is where my, like my tight initial people are from. And when there is in your situation and when there is a battle, we answer the call. Like, that's what we do. Like, I don't really know what redazels do. You know? Like I'm, I'm trying to like forge that for myself and that has some advantages too, but I think uh, it's, there's something to be said about that too, because, and I forget where I heard this. It might've been at church somewhere. I don't remember exactly where, but they were like, most people can, can name as far back as one side of their great grandparents. And that's where it stops. They can't really go much further back than that. I um, me neither. Yeah. Me neither. Well, I can look at a, I can look at a tree. Someone's done the work, but <laughs> right. not off the top of my head. Not, yeah. Yeah. Come on. You spit facts. Is that, John, is that, did you have a, did you guys have a boy, girl? Oh, we had a boy. Had a boy. Do you hope to pass that down? I mean, is this sort of like a thing where, you know, you, well, well, let me say that, let me caveat it this way. I hope there is not a war that we're engaged in, yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when he comes of age, but is that something yeah, that's, that's, that's been the regular case. For I know. History. Yeah. Right. 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 There's yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, but was it something like familial where it was sort of understood? Like before you went to college, you were like some sometime mid college, I'm going to go to officer school and this is the plan. Um, and it's sort of just kind of a unspoken truth within the family or is everyone sort of makes their own kind of decision at some point along the way. And they're like, that's something that I feel compelled to do. Yeah, some no, people might a, choose earlier rather than later or something like that. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, no, it's not any, there was no pressure placed on anything. I, yeah. I went to college thinking that I might end up being a teacher or, go, you know, maybe trying to teach history or something like that. And then my older brother, um, he joined the Marine Corps and he was an infantry officer as well. 
And, um, you know, I saw his experience and I saw what he was doing, what he was learning, and that was pretty influential. And, but he never once placed pressure or never said, you need to do this or you should do this. It was just like, you know, Hey, this is my world and this is what's going on. And I saw that and I was like, you know what, like it, it kind of opened my eyes to the reality of it. Right. I, I think that a lot of people, you know, warfare like that, especially in Iraq and Afghanistan was so detached. You know, you think about World War II, you think about how intimate it was back home for people. You know, whether that's people knowing that people are over there because of their loved ones or were, like, the entire industry, everything was centered around, you know, that's why times of war said so, like from an economic perspective, I mean, it just booms. You have industry boom, you have all these different jobs that boom because all this different stuff has to be manufactured and made and sent over. Th this conflict was really kind of distant, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it wasn't yeah. as intimate to the American, in individual American, and that includes myself. So when my brother went in, that kind of had that kind of opened my eyes a little bit to it, and then I realized, okay, this is something that that I want to do as well. I think that this is important as I learned about it. So there was no pressure. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. I think uh, there's a couple things on my mind. One, uh, I made a crack at my own brother with the chair force earlier, <laughs> and to regular listeners of the podcast, I think they know I have nothing but the deepest respect for my older brother. And I should, I should echo that on the service. One of the main reasons I never considered the military, uh, my older brother went to the Air Force Academy uh, when he was 18 years old. And, you know, I, I, I think this is natural for brothers, right? Um, you know, Milo will do it forever, Tommy, 100%. Mm -hmm. Like, you look at your older brother as like, a possible future for your own life. Yeah, absolutely. And so when I asked him like how it was going, he was like crushed by the workload, the academic demand. He was trying to play football. He had lost a drastic amount of weight in boot camp <clears throat> and then was trying to pack it all back on to play football. And so it had just been a lot of strain. And I, I, I wonder now if he was just like feeling depleted and was like, don't make this decision. Or if he kind of was trying to look out for me because it was also, uh, let's see, he would have graduated college in 2005. So he went into the academy in 01, right after 9-11, right? And so a little piece of me also wonders if he was just telling me, the military would be a terrible decision because he was looking out. Mm -hmm. And I guess this kind of gets back to Tommy's original question. I feel like when I think of Walter, I found myself writing uh, his birthday letter a couple months ago and talking about conflict with everything that's going on in our country, right? And talking about the ideas of war and being so torn because a piece of me fears more than anything that he would want to be a soldier or a police officer and be putting himself in a position where his life is in danger. And another piece of me, probably equally strong, wants more than anything for him to be the type of guy who fights for people who can't fight for themselves. And I struggle with how to approach that. Hmm. I have no question there. 
Do you guys feel anything similar to that same yeah, I mean, nervousness? Dude, I, I can absolutely echo that. And I mean, and quite frankly, it's one of the reasons I was excited to talk to John. I mean, I don't think I've ever, you know, I have some, some friends like, you know, um, the, the, the CrossFit affiliate where we did row, uh, row 24, the owner of that is, was an army ranger. And I've, I've talked to him in some detail about, you know, his experiences and things like that. But I, I think I, I'm torn with the exact same, um, like you, you want your kid well, to be that type, the type of person that, that wants to serve. But then for your own personal sake, you fear for their, you fear for their safety, right? Well, I'm afraid that my lack of experience, like I think about this with even high school football. Like I would love if Walter played high school football. I'd be fine with it. Katie, very scared of Walter playing high school football. She's seen movies like Concussion. Like why would we put our son through that? Mm -hmm. And what I'm afraid of is that my lack of experience in any form of military or combat actually makes it something that I would avoid or try to dissuade him from. And I don't know if I would be doing him a disservice. Mm. Yeah, yeah. This this feels like too much to put on uh, of a guy who's been a parent for all of like four months. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what's the move, John? What do we do? Well, that's the answer. That, that's obviously an answer I can't give you because I've been a parent for three months and I don't have that any, any experience there. But I, <laughs> you need I those will, extra 30 days? I, yeah, I, 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 will, I will say this, that if, if your son, if the war drum beats in your son, one of the worst things that you could ever do would be to kill it. Hmm. So, um, and that can take place in a lot of different facets. You know, you think about that from, you know, it's like, it doesn't mean that it has to be, you know, boots on the ground, you know, you know, hooking and jabbing, um, you know, you, you know, if that, that, that desire can take, can take root in a lot of different ways. You know, there's people who, you know, can battle in a lot of, it, it, you know, people who have that warrior mentality, um, you know, that can take place and take shape in a lot of different ways. You know what I mean? Um, you can think about people who are out there battling against human trafficking and they don't have a mm -hmm. single, they don't have any type of weapon system in their hand, but they're just out there trying to help people in need. You know I mean? There's a warrior component to that. Um, you know, that's just a random example off the top of my head, but you know, that that's yeah. something that can be really fostered, but we, we live in a society where the adventurous, and I've been even struggling with that a lot in my own life recently, especially getting into kind of like a standard, you know, standard job that I've never worked before within the last couple of years. And, um, you know, you, you can see that adventurous component of your heart that, that's, I think, is hardwired into all of us. You can see how that can very easily be lost. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it would be very important. And I've been struggling with that a lot. Um, I'm not saying that because I got it figured out. I'm saying that because I'm trying to figure it out. Um, but I think, as, as, you know, as fathers, us keeping that is probably the best thing that we can do to kind of steer them in that direction. But I, I think that it's really important not to squelch something out of fear of injury or harm um, because the world's not safe, man. <laughs> like yeah. the world's not, the world's not safe. Life's not safe. Dusty, you know that better than anybody, man. Um, especially what you went through with lymphoma, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, we don't live in a safe world. So there's no reason making it seem like it, it, we shouldn't shelter away from things because that's what we want. Safety's a, safety's a fallacy, man. Mm. man. And we should say, yes, that, that, that hits. That hits. It does. 
I mean, it totally hits. You know, I'm just, I come on the podcast complaining about falling down the steps. Um, well, there's but, a reason yeah. for that. Tell me, it freaking hurts when you fall down. The it steps. does. Yeah, it does hurt. My my like my forearm is on fire right now. I'm not even gonna lie. Like I keep I'm like real fidgety because it's like every time I put it down, it's like that rug burn. Um, and we should say too. I mean, like you know, not not to be all you know, but you know, your son or daughter, like you're, you know, you true. Winnie could absolutely have a calling, whether and and I think John, you said it right. There's this service warrior spirit that finds itself not only in 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 battle, correct, but also in nursing, in um, you know, teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's, yeah, I we I think we've we have absolutely and and you know, we we've definitely made the world a little too cushy so that when we do meet adversity, we don't know what to do, you know? And some of that is like, you know, you know, my dad was one of 12 kids and they grew up in like a 1200 square foot house. Wow. So like, you know, he, he knew real, he knew real struggle. I mean, there's at, at any given time, there was 10 to 15 people in that house, three bedrooms, one bathroom. So like using the toilet was like a luxury. <laughs> so, you know, it, everything in his life was like, I don't want my kids to have that type of experience. And sometimes it became maybe too comfortable. And there's this. Now, now we're the next generation of that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, where's the balance? Right. We certainly don't want to keep our kids from playing on monkey bars. But also falling from monkey bars breaks arms. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, there, there's this weird, delicate balance that we've we've definitely seen it. And John, you mentioned this having two kids with the first one. You're like kind of trailing them all the time. You're kind of like right behind them. And then the second one, you're kind of like, especially if I'm just home by myself with the kids, it's like one of y'all is going to fall down. It's just a matter of which one I'm closest to. Like Milo takes off running today and just falls face first down our driveway. And it's like, you know, maybe it's similar to, you know, I, I won't, I won't compare it to your experience in battle, but, but also like if that was ever, if he was our only one, it would have been panic. Oh my gosh. What is wrong? Is, is, is do I need to check on him? Is he going to have a concussion? And he, he, he fell frontwards. Like he caught himself with Milo. It was like, okay, let's, let's do the scan face, hands, knees. He seems okay. He's going to be okay. Everything's good. We haven't really thought about it again. And so, I don't know. You, you, you. We're, 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 we're as, as parents, we're kind of walking that balance too of like giving them some cushion, but also letting them have some rope. It's, it's not easy. Yeah, <laughs> it's not you want to, you want to be like a good pair of tidy whities A little bit of freedom, <laughs> a little bit of support. That's an oxymoron. <laughs> no such thing as a good pair of tidy whities Yeah, there's. I think there's Talks so much common stuff. sense, man. I think, I think in that too, there's so much common sense because it's like. You know, just, just just use wisdom, find balance in it. Like, you know, the, what what could be worse for your child than to suffocate them with safety and then put them into a very dangerous, unsafe world? Well, it's funny you say I that, think... John. And re- Dusty, real quick. So it's it's what that, in a spoiler alert, this will be my recommendation, but at the very last chapter of Daring Greatly, Brene mm-hmm. Brown, which if you haven't read it, I mean, it's phenomenal or listen to it. Fantastic. But- 
she says that the biggest injustice we can do for our kids is to not let them have any struggle. And it's like, it's so obvious, but yet it's also so counterintuitive. Um, and so anyway, it, it, what you said just made me think that's, that's one of the last two or three paragraphs in her book. Hmm. Um, she ends on that. So, yeah. Well, one of the things that you made me think about John is the, the difference between risk and danger. Hmm. I think that we live in such a, not everybody, right? Like when, when I say we live in such a, uh, secure society, like I recognize that there are struggles that are very real, even in a country that, you know, you just got done talking about mud huts versus, you know, the thousands of square feet homes with running water and air conditioning that most of us live in. So, like, I recognize that there's some real struggles in this country, but most of them involve risk, not that much actual danger. And I think about this with Walter all the time, and you're him running what you're talking about, Tommy, running down the driveway, little things like this. It's like, oh, don't let him do that. Oh, no, stop, stop. It's going to be fine. Let him spread his wings a little. Let him run. Let him skin his knee up. Like, yeah. these Good. things, these, you jump in there. Because yeah. all I'm going to do is start talking about character, and people have heard yeah. enough from me. No, I, no, it's it's. I think I can give a great example of something that I learned. My, I've talked about it before. My older brother, he has three kids, uh, and his oldest son, Jonathan, um, now is uh, almost sixteen. Uh, that must have been an honor. Uh, it, it, it was indeed. So, but a great example of that is I'll never forget. There's a place called um, I think it's it's in Moab. It, I, I think it's called Table Rock. I don't remember exactly what the name of it is, but it's a really really cool repel. So it's you you climb up this really, really gradual climb. It's a couple pitches, but it's really, it's virtually scrambling, but you're roped up just in case. And you get to the top and then at the top of the rock, the water's eating through. So you kind of drop down into a small hole. And then it's like somebody took an ice cream scoop and scooped out underneath the rock. So it kind of looks like half moonish inside. And then it's like a 200 foot rappel straight down. And we climb this thing and we get up there and I think we're going to just wrap back down the wall. But my brother Christian has his son with us. His son is barely... His son's barely eight, nine years old, and he puts on his harness, and he straps him to the rope, and he's sitting me down first, and he goes, Jonathan's coming with us. And I'll never forget in my life, I almost got into a fist fight with him out there. I was like, there is no way he's doing this. He's not my child and not my son. But I was like, there's no way he's doing this, man. No way. No way. And he's like, listen, I've done the risk assessment. I know his capabilities, even at this age he's at. I'm mitigating it with certain factors here and there. He is capable of this, and this is what we're doing. And I almost fought him because you know I was the, I was the good uncle looking out, but he knew I, I wasn't a parent and I had no idea. But he did that risk assessment, and you know he gave him exposure to certain things. We even got the uh, park rangers called on us one time. These people mm-hmm. saw him. I was repelling, and my nephew was right next to me, and we were repelling together. And somebody called the park rangers on us. And the park ranger walked out and it was one of the coolest moments. And the reason I say this is it gives weight to what we're talking about. And I learned a lot from it. That park ranger walked out and walked straight up to us at the bottom of this cliff. And this was in the Shenandoah in, 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 um, in Virginia. He walked straight up to us and walked straight up to Jonathan, my nephew, and didn't say a word to me or Christian. And he goes, young man, are you scared? And he goes, 
he looked at him and kind of had this look on his face, kind of like dumbfounded. He goes, no. And then the, then the park ranger goes, all right, guys, have a great day. Turned around and walked away. Wow. Yeah. These people, wow. had, the, these people had called. And I realized when I saw that, I was like, okay, there's two types of people in this world where, or there's stiff, you know, in terms of mindset, like some people thought that it was so dangerous that it was literally like almost possibly damaging to the child. And then one person saw risk factors have been mitigated as much as is possible. There's a lot to be learned from this. It's relatively safe and we're going to go for it. And mm -hmm. the lessons learned, but the courage and the confidence that's instilled in that, I think that it was a great way to find the balance and I learned a lot from it. Wow. Yeah, man. And that's an awesome story. I love the way that park ranger handled that because yeah. he got right to the core of the issue. Is this kid being forced or not? Like a kid who's forced is scared. A yep. kid who is embracing a challenge is something different. Yeah. And it, Tommy, what you said about like, we could definitely be talking about Winnie. Like we're talking about sons because you two have boys. Yeah. I've been with Walter the longest when he's three months old. I haven't applied as much thought, but I think about that, that last part, there's a lot to be gained from this confidence, <clears throat> this esteem. And we, uh, we started compiling this list of things we would like our children to know before they leave the house. And some of them are pretty advanced skills. And I haven't landed on what exactly, but I think there's something in the martial arts, some sort of, some sort of combat-adjacent skill, whether it's like wrestling, jiu-jitsu, something like that, that teaches something beyond what normal sports do. Uh, I don't know. I haven't done those things, but... Like I can say for a fact, football teaches you something different than basketball teaches you. Yeah, very much. Yeah. And so I can only imagine it's intensified when you're one-on-one -on -one with all that same, harnessing that same aggression. So I think about some of those things and how they would translate like, okay, I put martial arts in the, the Walter column over here. It's got to go in the Winnie column. Even if she's that weird girl who's like, and weird by our standards, maybe like girls are doing this more often when they're younger now. But when I was a little kid, like girls weren't out there doing jujitsu and wrestling. There was only a few of them. And the ones I knew who did when they were little, they were pretty tough by the time high school got around. Like they didn't suffer fools, you know? And I think that some people are intimidated by that. But I think a lot of that is just confidence and not not accepting people who might have some weaker character traits that you don't respect yet. And look, as an adult, I think there's something to like the acceptance of like people and meeting them where they're at and helping them get better. But I don't think that's the responsibility of like a teenager like a teenager needs to recognize like hey that person is not making the best of themselves you can pick better friends and i think that's a lot of what you get when you're willing to embrace some risk and as you mentioned do everything you can to mitigate the factors but let them do hard things come out the other side of it 
And you're going to be better for it. Man, I'm feeling I'm feeling energized about creating some <laughs> readdressing my parenting plan. John, have you Getting back so, on the grind? So you did. You've done. You know, you you were uh, into CrossFit. You did. You were a CrossFit coach. Have you ever done anything like jujitsu or anything like that? I did. Yeah, we trained. Uh, I trained out of a jujitsu gym for uh, about a year uh, when I lived in Southern California when I was with Marine Corps. Cool. <laughs> What's your take on it? Oh, dude, it's so great, man. Any, any type of martial art discipline. Um, there's so much value in it and it's, everybody thinks about it and they think, you know, these just freaks of nature and the octagon and the MMA just going ham on each other. That's not what that is. You know what I mean? Obviously that's a discipline that they employ, but like when it comes to just like folks like us, there's so much value in it, man. You just, you learn a skill, you get community, you get, you know, some physical work done out of it, some physical fitness perspective. And then also you learn something that can be a value should you ever have to be in a position, God forbid, that you have to use something like that. Yeah, I keep hearing how valuable it is. This is again where D- Dusty will will say my, my cost of action is high, and <laughs> and I'm I'm and w- w- this is why I struggle so much is growing up, I didn't do something unless I knew I was going to be good at it. Mm, yeah, um, it's why I was almost like a single sport kid. I wasn't great at baseball, but I was good enough. I knew I could hold my own. It's why. I basically crap my pants on the on the opening tee box anytime I play golf because I'm not great at golf. I'm not like I don't work at it, right? Um, and so, yeah, listen to Joe Rogan. He talks about jujitsu all the time. He, for people that like or dislike Joe Rogan, he's recently in the news uh, talking about vaccines and and so forth. But you know, I, I easily he, the greatest disciple of jujitsu. Easily yeah, the, the greatest disciple of, of jujitsu. <laughs> yeah, he's huge fan. Yeah. But I, I think it's one of those things where I, I'd, I'd like, I think I'd like to put the boys in it, and I think I'd also something that that I think would be valuable as a parent is to suck with them, <laughs> like go in yeah. and get my ass kicked, and have the humility to say, "Look, your dad's not perfect." I get, but I'm going to work at it and we're going to work at it and we're going to get better together. I mean, that's, you know, I I think there's some, there's absolute value to that, but the cost of action is high. I get real nervous about going in there and with my immobile shoulders, getting them popped out and and all these different (laughs) things. So, well, here's a question for both you guys. Was there anybody when you were a kid that you remember like being a great example of how to lose? Like that guy really lost well. I have a That's lot a of examples question. of guys who lost poorly. Yeah, uh, oh, totally. And I've got plenty <laughs> of examples of guys who won with humility. You know, like it's easy to Barry, win San- with humility. Barry Sanders doesn't even celebrate. He just hands the ball to the referee. Yeah, lost <laughs> right. well. I don't. I'd have to do some thinking on that because if we're if we're extending it to like professional sports too, or professional anything's. But yeah. that's my whole point. Yeah. I'm I'm saying like unprofessionally, just thinking like this is what I love about your jujitsu idea, Tommy. Like I think it'd be huge for a kid to like see his dad get pinned, which is like every no little kid wants to see his dad lose, right? Yeah. Dad's Superman for a little while, but then to like be able to laugh and move on and mm-hmm. like not let it weigh him down, like. A kid who can lose and not worry about it, that's a kid who's going to get better. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I, I don't want him to be like, losing's no big deal. <laughs> but you also don't want the other side where losing is a maniacal... Yeah. yeah. You know? I just, I just think yeah. it'd be interesting. Yeah, and I'll, Tommy, I'll, I'd encourage you in this too, man. When you, now, I haven't, since that time, I have not spent any time in, in, in a jiu-jitsu gym for an extensive, wow, extensive period of time. But the, when you go in, there is no, it depends on the gym you go to, and you can find a good culture, a good community, just like, just like a CrossFit gym, just find yeah. a good culture community. And, but it's not a win or lose type environment. It's a growth mm-hmm. environment. Because what's going to happen is the same thing that happened to me. You're going to go in there and then you're going to go through some of the technique work. You're going to kind of practice some of the basic functions. You're going to grow and learn the foundations and the fundamentals of the art and of the, uh, of the, um, excuse me, of the art. And then you're going to get into circles and you're going to kind of roll around with somebody for a few minutes and then switch to somebody else. And you're going to come up to a brown belt or a black belt. And that sense of wondering whether you're going to win or lose is going to completely disappear because you're going to realize that both <laughs> you and everybody in the middle leading up to this individual, in the end, they know nothing. And you're all trying to do the same thing, which is to grow because you get in with some of these more experienced jujitsu individuals. Dude, I'm not overestimating when I say you literally feel like a human marionette. I mean, the, you, you it, it, it's a very it, it's so humbling. I'm in this like really so the real fun. the real cut not like LeBron James saying it's humbling like it's, the real humbling. It's yeah. it's like your your body's moving. You're like I'm not moving my body right now, but for some reason I'm and it's just you're being manipulated. But you learn so much, dude. I'm equally. I'm sitting here like I have this like stupid grin on my face because I'm like equally like excited about this potential and also absolutely terrified of the situation like this like for someone with risk aversion like me that type of situation is the epitome of hell <laughs> like, com- completely out of control with someone who could snap my neck if they really wanted to knowing that they're not going to do it but still they could they could do it that's awesome that's, that's wild man. That, that's 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 John, really cool i wanted to uh i want to hit one topic for about I don't know. We'll see what we have. Five, ten minutes, depending where it goes. And then uh, were you going to take a stab at the weekly segments, the We're Not Really Strangers questions, and make a recommendation? Sure, I'll do that. Ah, excellent. So the thing I wanted wanted to talk about was uh, the topic of common sense. Hmm. And you mentioned it a little while ago uh, in terms of, like, parenting and how you're approaching some actions with your child but high level what does common sense mean to you yeah i i think that you know the term wisdom i think is is not you actually don't really hear that word in our culture a lot you don't hear wisdom and and, you know I, i think that that's common sense is people are we live in this culture of social media and this, everybody sees everything on the biggest, broadest picture, right? Everybody, you get on your phone and you see worldwide this is happening. Na- nationally, this is happening. And there's such a lack of focus on your tribe or your community, right? Like everybody's like, holy crap, our, our nation's on fire. And in many ways it is. But when I walk outside my door and I see my African-American, excuse me, African-American neighbors over there, and then I see my Latino neighbors over there, 
and I'm walking down the street and everybody that I'm saying hi to is saying hi back. Everybody that I'm looking at smiling back and I'm smiling at them. I'm like, you know, things aren't, it's not that bad. You know what I mean? Like I love my neighbor and then my neighbor loves me. Like, and so when I think about common sense, I think about wisdom. And when I think about that, it's so many people look for so many things in so many different places. Well, what's the latest Instagram influencer say about this or this? It's like, dude, if you have a good relationship with your parents, which not everybody has that blessing, right? But mm -hmm. who is a mentor in your life? Send them a text or give them a phone call and be like, hey, this is what's going on. What is your experience? Like everybody has a tendency to make things so difficult or so it's like, call up your mentor, mm -hmm. man. It's like, well, what do we do about this? Well, it's like, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's common sense to me is humility and understanding that there's a lot of people in your immediate sphere who have a lot of experience and you can draw from that in such a simple way when I think so many people try to make it so much more complicated than it needs to be. So I think the wisdom and common sense and drawing wisdom from those who have it is really kind of interconnected. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of what I think about it. On a broad no, scale. it definitely... I love connecting it to wisdom. There's a, an Adam Grant book called Think Again that I just read recently. And I think my favorite quote in the entire book was, if knowledge is power, then wisdom is knowing what you don't know. And I think that that's where a lot of common sense comes into play, is what I'm hearing, is it making sense to me? Or does it seem different from my experience? It's like people are saying it's this way. Well, that's not the, the world I'm experiencing. And if it is, if that difference exists, well, then maybe there's something I don't know. I need to reach out for help, for education, for insight, for somebody who has lived a few more years than I have. And I don't know why... I, I think there can be a few, if like, if I was trying to analyze just, I guess, life in general, you could pick a lot of reasons why people tangle things up and make them complex <laughs> and talk ourselves in circles. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with not wanting to say, I don't know, and mm -hmm. not wanting to be humble and not wanting to ask for help. Mm-hmm. There's and, this, well, and, and our access to information is so great and, yeah. and information so is much not knowledge. Wisdom. Yeah. yeah. I mean, That's a great point. I, when I, when I brought up like to my parents before we had a kid, I was like, oh yeah, you know, we, we grabbed a couple books. They're like books on parenting. It's like, <laughs> you know, I, I you know, we'll, we'll find ourselves in John, you'll find yourself here soon and, and maybe you'll do this. Maybe you won't, but like, you know, um, we're looking up like sleep training routines. Not not right now. Our kids are are thank goodness they're past the you know the the waking up multiple times a night. But you're like two a.m. googling how long is normal for sleep training for a baby to cry at six months old, and it's like we'll give you to the T this information, and it's like our our parents didn't have that. They need. They had a library card. If they wanted a book, mm -hmm. they had to find it at a local bookstore. There wasn't a Barnes and Noble. It was like, and and their local bookstore probably didn't have the book. It was a small town, <laughs> so like, we've almost foregone wisdom for access to information. 
Yeah, that's so. That's such a great point, Tommy. I agree with you 100%. You know, so I don't know. They're, they're, the common sense, and my dad and brother we... joke on me all the time. Like, they're like, because sometimes I, I over, I like, there's, you guys can't see it, the light behind me. I'll pull that light fixture down and I'll overanalyze wiring the wires. It's like you just reconnect the ones that are already connected, but I'll overthink it beyond belief. So. We should dog ear that point, Tommy, because that's something I would like to explore in future conversations. The access to information is crippling us in a lot of other areas. And, you know, I won't speak for both of us, but one of the things I love about doing this podcast is it's one of the few times where my conversations have nothing to do with information, really. Like, we're not here Googling things. We're not, we don't have a Jamie looking things up for us. (laughs) Right. And yet, when I get done with these, like, I find myself thinking about what we've talked about a lot. I, I feel like it makes my mind work more peaceably. You know, like, I don't just hit, hit an idea and think, well, do I know this or do I not? Like it gets to, it gets to move around a little bit. It gets to evolve. It's like my brain becomes more independent for not relying on knowledge. And I don't really know what that is yet. You can tell hearing me talk about it. I'm, I'm finding out how to operate in the void of information. Yeah. And I think that's actually how people were meant. Like, you're not meant to have the answers to everything. I know. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it creates a, a stress when you either have it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just, yeah, a dog ear, something to revisit. I like it. Man, I'm, I'm glad I asked about that common sense, John. That's, that's going to give me some trails to run down. Yeah. No, if you guys explore that further, I'll be listening attentively. All right, let's move on to the uh, the segments. The finding ourselves question of the week from the We're Not Really Strangers self-reflection addiction. Uh, first of all, John, do you have an Instagram handle? You don't strike me as an Instagram guy. No, I I, I wish we had time to talk about it, but I do, I do not dabble in social media in any way, no. Dang it. Actually, I would have loved to talk about that. You know what? <laughs> What are we at, uh, episode 22? We'll have you on for episode 44. There we go. <laughs> you know, John, I got to say, you've been, uh, you've been an excellent guest. I, you're, you're a good talker. Yeah, dude. You've got a, you have a pleasant voice to listen to. Your ideas have come out much more crisply and quickly than my own do. It's been <laughs> nice. Uh, you're very kind. Well, I'd, I'd prefer you say I'm very honest. But I recognize your humility. (laughs) All right, here's the question. When have I given too much of myself in a relationship? What did that look like? What lesson did that leave me with? One more time for the cheap seats. When have I given too much of myself in a relationship? What did that look like? What lesson did that leave me with? Quick draw, Tommy. I got an idea, and and I'll I'll leave some of the ones that are maybe a little more personal, with like 
personal therapy, but you don't want to you don't want to call out that girlfriend from junior year of high school. <laughs> but but I think you broke uh, my heart, Pam. No, come on, dude. You know I listen to Dashboard. I, I've already worked all that stuff out, man. Um, but I think it it, it for, for me, it's more of a generality, and it's not maybe a specific person. It is a type of person, and it's it's people that I would see as like um, management or some sort of authority, um, especially being in, you know, coming into a sales world where I knew nothing. Um, I think I often pushed, maybe didn't set my own boundaries and didn't respect other boundaries in like trying to garner attention. And I say affection, not affection in like a weird way, but affection in like, that Tommy's my guy, like my, my propensity to be a people pleaser manifested itself into me needing the, um, adoration of some authoritative figure. And what I noticed about that is I put myself in an inferior position to appear, you know, whether we're talking about, you know, walking up in meeting the CEO of Cisco or the or the president of the United States or anywhere in between all those things in my mind if i had turned them into some sort of important or authoritative figure i was already putting myself at this groveling position mm-hmm. and so being aware of that recognizing that has made interactions with people that You know, if we just look from a simple Cisco standpoint, you know, we have our directory and that directory has a reporting structure and you can always look how many degrees of separation do I have from the top guy? And then if someone falls pretty close to that, but it's, it's allowed, it's been very freeing to recognize that I have that propensity and to recognize that X person is an employee at the same company at which I work. I can have a peer to peer conversation as opposed to one of needing to impress or um, gain some sort of like Tommy's my guy kind of thing. It's a work in mm-hmm. progress, but it's absolutely a kind of a general recurring theme that that's been, that's played out and been worked on. Yeah. I think realizing that everyone like is, you know, just a guy or a gal. Well, and that's what I mean when I say yeah. that. There's yeah. there's really no difference, man or woman. Like we're all, we're all just we're just it's a it's a human being. Yep. They're ninety nine point nine percent the same thing as you are. Yep. It is like a major breakthrough. It is, and to recognize that their approval or rejection of you is a reflection of them, not of you. Yeah. Right. So anyway. 100%. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, man. I like that question. Let me do some thinking. John, do you have an answer for this? Yeah, I I thought about it. I'll be super, super general um, on it, just out of respect for not wanting to talk about anybody individually. But um, I remember there's been some leadership times where I've had individuals um, who I was either leading or managing who um, there was just a significant amount of pushback. Um, There was a significant amount of um, you, you could just tell that they were kind of going off the rails a little bit, right? Um, and when you're in leadership, if you're leading, in my opinion, if, if you're leading well, you are valuing people, 
because um, anybody in any leadership position who doesn't see the value and the importance of the people that they're leading or managing and knowing that those individual efforts that are taking place cannot from the lowest to the highest levels, no matter what they're at, no matter what their value at is at the level that they're, that they're at. If you minimalize that or in any way, shape or form, I think that you're starting to fall short, right? So in leadership and management, you, you, you should be thinking about valuing people and then growing them inside of whatever position they might be in. Um, but, you know, I think that in this specific situation, this individual, I overextended and gave too much of myself, right? Because in the end, there is a harsh reality of sometimes you just got to cut a person loose. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it, when you think about it from the business world perspective, um, you think about it from, I mean, you can talk about it from an athletic perspective as a coach, you know, you can think about it from a lot of different avenues. Um, I remember I just, I, I was so relentless in my desire to be loyal to this individual because that's something that is, is something that's important to me uh, from a loyalty perspective. I think, you know, obviously about previous, um, you and I and, and Tommy as well, you guys know Matt Pittman, um, previous guest, like one of the most loyal people I have ever known in my life, right? And, and I think you that's guys- That's amazing because I have heard him use the exact same word is like, the first thing he turns to with you and you both mutually respect that so much in each other. Yeah. It's, and so, you know, I think, I, I think about him when I think about that and that's an example, like I was, it was so important to me to do everything that was within my power to get this person to where I wanted them to be because I wanted them to be successful and I wanted their success. And then I wanted the success for those underneath them. But I overextended myself to the point to where I let it just go too far. And then I realized just through some certain circumstances, the negative impacts that that person had been having, even though I had been pouring myself out to try to get this person you know, to write that ship as much as possible. And the lesson I learned from that is sometimes one of the most beneficial things you can do, even though it wrenches your gut, is to cut somebody loose, to go and to learn the lesson that they need to learn. Because sometimes the only way that they're going to learn it is the hardest of ways. And that's by sending them out on their own. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, man, like, you, and when I say man, I obviously use that in a general term. You know, it could be a, it could be a guy or a gal, depends on whatever the situation is. But it's like the, the only way this person's going to learn is by getting cut loose. And so I realized through that experience that sometimes, from a leadership management perspective, no matter how loyal you are, no matter how hard you try, sometimes you just got to cut the cord. Sometimes, and that's probably one of the most beneficial things you can do because hopefully they'll learn that lesson and maybe learn from it the next venture that they find themselves on. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's an experience of mine. No, I think that's like, that's at the heart of it, right? Uh, that's really good, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it makes me, it's so hard for me not to like, you, it sparks things in my own mind and then like, I want to talk about them, but we'll leave it there. Thank you for sharing. Uh, it's funny. I thought you guys were going to talk about people. So I thought I would be doing something different here, but um, I'm also not going to talk about an individual. And I would say, Dusty, but, and I, th I think, you know, since most people will be listening to this in their car, on a run, whatever, all by their own, the invitation is absolutely, if, if you're exploring this, go down the path of an individual if that's where you need to go. Yeah, I think probably sure. probably for us, it, you know, the, the, since multiple people will be listening to this. It's not just inside our own head or just one therapist. We, we probably need to be a little more general altogether. But anyway, the well, invitation is you there. Know, 
Here's the thing. If I had an individual, I'd talk about them. I, I really would. I, I, I wouldn't use their name. You yeah. Know, I'd right, 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 right. Get a, get a pseudonym up there and just like, hey, we'll call this person the aforementioned Pam who broke Tommy's heart when he was 16. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, but the truth of the matter is I don't think I have an individual. I, I don't know that I've ever given too much of myself in a relationship to someone else. And I think that is both a, uh, a, sen- a symptom and a cause of the thing that I have given too much of myself in a relationship to, which is alcohol. Mm. And, I, you know, what you learn when you start decoupling yourself from any habit, but it's certainly the, the truth of a 12-step program and a substance like alcohol, is... You need to be of service to others and that that is the best way to build esteem in yourself and realize that like you got a responsibility. You have things that are bigger than yourself, you know, uh, a power greater than yourself. And all of these things kind of reflect that back to that, that if you are trying to serve someone else and you're trying to pour yourself into others, it almost takes up the space, right? And it can be a relationship to a substance or a person, but if you really have a passion or a calling or a thing you're working towards or trying to help other people in any way, like you don't have time to be absorbed by a singular relationship. And I think that's probably a really good like tension point when you're leading a team of individuals is are all these other people that I'm meant to serve suffering because I'm over invested in this one person. That's a great point, man. If you're in a relationship, are all my friends pissed off because I'm completely absorbed with this guy or girl? Probably not a good relationship. Am I suffering in my job because my nights and my weekends are absorbed with this drug? Probably not a good relationship, right? Like the, it, it shows up in a lack of balance and a lack of service to the other areas of your life. So for me, it, I don't know, sometimes it looked terrible. Sometimes it looked like I was just a guy and you tell yourself that you're just a guy because you don't want to think about the times when it looks terrible. And the lesson it left me with is a lot of the things I just mentioned. I need balance. I need structure. And people who say things like, oh, only people with a problem need rules. That is a lie. We all need rules and we all need structure. And to the thing you mentioned earlier, John, about preparation and building a foundation... I have found that works as well for disavowing yourself of a harmful relationship as it does for getting good at a skill. And in fact, they're basically the same thing. So that's, uh, that's mine guys. Dude, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. That was, that was, that's a mic drop moment at the end of the podcast, man. It is. If only we could end. You know what's you know what is we, you know what is we gotta make recommendations. We gotta make recommendations. You know what is uh interesting though, Dusty, and this is it just keeps coming up in every conversation we have. Hmm. 
Um, and I was going to touch on this earlier, but but John was in a flow state. I didn't want to interrupt him. Doing in almost every conversation, it's doing the mundane hmm. so that you're prepared in non-ordinary situations. I mean, it's yeah. just it couldn't be more resonant than than it is in. I mean, it it just it's kind of the thread. Maybe we need to rename the podcast something, dude. <laughs> yeah. We we found well, the theme. We can end it. John is our last guest. <laughs> this is it. Thanks for listening. It's been a ride. Uh, yeah. What was the thing last time? Is like talking about like finding your passion, and you, the most passionate people we know are very impassionate about their passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like they just do the thing over and over and over. And after hundreds of hours, thousands of hours, like, you know what I think it is too? Cause I talked to, I talked to somebody about this recently. It's, we abuse the word love so often. What do you love to do? And people struggle with it. I don't you know, it's, I don't know that I love to do anything or they think it's something frivolous where they go to kill time. But that's because we so often equate like love with like falling in love and that bliss, uh, that hope of something new and possible. But my experience has been that actually being in love, like doing the work, practicing it, deepening it, is actually a lot like bravery. It is doing the thing over and over again so that whatever it is you're afraid of is unlikely to happen or if it does happen you have prepared for it and it's just it forces you to think about fear and what is tough and people don't want to do that so like when you talk about people who are dispassionate about their passion it's because that's how you overcome the fear it doesn't matter if i'm afraid of it it doesn't matter if i could fail I'm going to go get rolled in jujitsu and now you're, now you're getting better at it. And then you have that confidence and that self-esteem that we were trying to like, how do you form that in a kid? Right. It's, I don't know if it's bravery. I don't know if it's love. I think they're actually the same thing and it's properly loving yourself is being brave every single day. So I don't know. I'm kicking it around, but I do think this podcast has helped me help me get there. And Tommy, you have been helping me get there. Hey, man. I appreciate you for that. I'm just here. I'm the conductor. <laughs> choo choo. Oh man. Recommendations. What a way to handle. What a way to handle the awkwardness of a genuine compliment. <laughs> <laughs> the pleasure is all on this end of the WebEx. That's as how my I do as it. my good friend Dusty says. Uh, yeah. Recommendations. I'll go first. Yeah. I'll just knock it out. Um, I just finished the TV show, the Falcon and the winter soldier. I'm an MCU guy. I loved it. Uh, I think it did an awesome job as good of a job as a, a superhero show can do of handling topics of like race and responsibility. You know, how, uh, how a soldier handles the idea of, fighting for something that he thinks is right, even when everybody else thinks it's not a fight worth fighting. Um, And there were some good modern topics, but what it makes me want to recommend 
to anybody who has the time or interest is, for lack of a better term, the Captain America mythos. Captain America is kind of a crazy idea in some ways. We took something that was small and weak and we made it super strong and powerful. And now he has to reckon with the fact that this power has made him more of whatever he is. And how is he going to use it? And yeah, it's an analogy for the country, but it's an analogy for anybody who finds themselves in a position of influence or ability. And I think that these recent Marvel movies, the Captain America trilogy, the first Avenger, the Winter Soldier, then Civil War, culminating in Endgame. One, yeah, they're a lot of fun. But it's the closest thing we have to something that everybody has seen. They're the biggest movies in the world. And they actually have something really great to say about what it is to be an American, what it is to, like, liberty and making your own choices versus following the crowd. And I think for anybody who likes to filter fiction to give them a meaningful perspective on the world, they're doing it at a populist level about as well as you can do it. So I guess that's also an open invitation. If anybody wants to hit me up and talk about Captain America, I am game. (laughs) Because I know I'm not getting it from my podcast partner. You said everybody in the world seen it, and surprise, surprise, <laughs> I think I've seen the first Captain America. A couple Spider-Mans, maybe an Iron Man here or there. I need to watch it through your that. lens, though. Not really, but anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, if, if, we could, if people want to go on this ride with us, we can watch every movie while live podcasting. <laughs> I'd be happy to do it. I almost need to, well, I, I need to do that to watch it through your lens. Hey, maybe in the carriage house we'll do that. Um, man, the, we, we just can't do The problem is if you do the whole MCU, I, it's like 100 hours now. It's, it's so it's much crazy. time. It's, it's, a lot, it's a lot of time. John, did you want to go uh, next, man? Did you have any recommendations? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, something I've taken up is, is, uh, wood, wood, working wood carving, um, with just like hammer and chisel. Um, and, uh, what I've, what I've been doing with it is, um, I just looked up how to carve letters, um, not relief carving where you carve everything else out. So what you have is raised and elevated above it, but actually like stenciling out the letters and carving them out. And I just started to make some signage and stuff like that. I've made a couple uh, gifts for family for Christmas. And then I've got another one that I've made for, uh, for my dad, for, for his gym. It's probably the biggest piece that I've done yet, but it's, uh, it's something that could be done. That's pretty affordable. Um, it depends. It depends if you get like actual chisel sets, you know, if it, so you get like a Swiss made, you can start, you know, forking out some serious money, but you can get, if you're looking to do just rudimentary stuff. And I realized how, whether it's something like woodworking or something like that, just a, a small kind of artistic task that's, you know, in, intensive with your hands and some thinking and just putting on some sea shanty music in the background. I've listened to some sea, sea, sea shanties lately. This is just so much fun. Um, what is sea shanty music like? So it's virtually those old sailor songs, man. Like the, the, these old... Like I-D, 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 I-D. <laughs> But um, I mean, these songs that were just born by men by men on the oceans and, and back in the day, and just these 
harshest of conditions and you're just kind of doing some, you know, small, take up a small, unimpactful labor of love that you learn a skill set from, um, that you can, you know, do some self-reflection time as you're doing it. It's not a stressful thing. It's something that you can enjoy with, you know, being able to like something like that. I can go out to the garage when I have an, you know, an, an empty 30 minutes or something like that. So that would be my recommendation. I like that. That's so cool. Ron Swanson over here. Well, I just, I, I so wish, believe in the benefit of having a craft. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I thought, I, I wasn't sure where you were going with that, John. I thought you were going to drop a, drop an Etsy page on us or something, man. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Not yet. Not yet. You could make signs uh, with, with your last name. You got to, it, that's a name born to make signage. Wood, <laughs> wood signage. Um that's that's really cool, man. Um, so yeah, I, I I sort of already kind of dropped my my recommendation, um, and of course I listened to it on the Libby app, which I'll mention again, has revolutionized uh, cardio for me, and has also uh, I'm through more books this year than I read all of last year. So the original Dusty Wreck. It keeps on episode one. It's it's I finally took the plunge, the free plunge, but uh, daring greatly by Brene Brown. Um, you know I don't want to oversimplify it, but essentially she's being able to experience and live in a vulnerable way is the only way to also experience a joyful life. And um, for a quick blurb, if it's something of interest to you, she's got a TED Talk. It's like the most watched TED Talk of all time. Just Google Brene Brown TED Talk. And then the book, Daring Greatly. It's quick. Listen on 1.25, about six hours. Um, Great advice on leadership. Great advice on parenting. Great advice on um, marriage and just kind of existing as a human. So that will be mine. And uh, I second the wreck. Absolutely love Brene Brown's work. Yeah. Um, John, what did you think, man? That's it. We're going to wrap. No, I thought. How'd was, you like it? I loved it, man. It was great. It was a pleasure to talk with you guys. That's You were able to give me a chance to share some stories that I haven't been able to share before, at least not in this type of context. And, you know, for me, that was just super healthy and super beneficial. And, you know, it was just a real pleasure. What's uh? What's your t-shirt size? We'll get you one of uh one of these bad boys, dude. I I was gonna tell you guys. I I saw the fi- I saw the, the 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 picture for your podcast uh, when Matt talked me onto it, and I was just like, wow, that's really, really. I thought it was really really cool, and most of all, the Dumb and Dumber at the onset when you guys do your intro. <laughs> Jeez, man, People love that. I just love it so much. Um, we know size, our audience. <laughs> yeah, size large, man. Size large. All right, brother. We'll send that to you, uh, dude. Thanks a ton for coming yeah, on, man. Yeah, really it, do appreciate it. It is, yeah. yeah, it's just been awesome talking to you. And I hadn't, to your point, you know, I hadn't heard some of those stories. Uh, I don't know, you know, like we, I think about this with a lot of a lot of guys that I consider close friends. You know, we go off and we live our own lives and like you always feel tied to these people that you spent significant portions of your life with, so, mm-hmm. like for us in college. But, like, you forget how much you miss. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, man, it's it's great reconnecting, and I can't wait to uh, to have you up here to the house and to meet the little guy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, man, a lot. All right, brother. Well, take care of yourself, yeah. and Tommy, you know. I'll talk to you next week. Great, great, great as always, my <laughs> friend. <laughs> toot, toot. <laughs> hey, John, great. Tommy. All right. Yeah, yeah thanks, gr- Tommy. Great to see you, man. Hope, hope to see you when you guys come and visit, man. Yeah, look Thanks again for taking guys. the time. All right, guys. <laughs> See, See you, fellas. fellas. See you, guys. Thanks.